if you're ever interested um, <clears throat> in hearing others of my talks or really any of the Spirit Rock teachers, Dharma Seed is the uh, website where you can get just tons, tons. It's almost like too much, you know, like too many choices. I'm putting it on dharmaseed.org. Um, yeah, and I'm wearing a funny hat because I had a something was growing in my head that doctors didn't like, so they removed it. And so then now I have a hole in my head. And uh, so just for aesthetic purposes, it was the choice between having a big Band-Aid or a funny hat. So I don't know, one for the funny hat. My brother Pat always used to say, there's not, nothing funnier than a funny hat. So I don't know, this one isn't really funny enough to fall into that category, I don't think. But but uh, I'll have to consult with my brother and find out what would be a funnier hat. Um, so tonight, I am hoping to get some uh, interaction with you guys after the meditation. Um, you know, I actually had a long exchange with a, a guy in London recently uh, talking, asking questions about meditation. And he was fairly new to practice, but he had been on one retreat and had kind of gotten a certain kind of information about meditation, which he had interpreted in certain ways. And I thought, boy, like, I wonder if other people have these kind of questions. And um, so I'm thinking that what we're going to do tonight is we're going to meditate for 30 minutes. And then, then I'm going to ask for questions uh, about meditation. And then after that, however, if, if that doesn't, you know, if that doesn't take up the rest of the evening, <laughs> we'll take a little break and then I'll come back and, uh, and give a little talk. Um, but in, in fact, that's the way um, we used to, uh, run the class on the land at Spirit Rock, but since I've been doing it online, I haven't been doing the the questions after the after the meditation. So, so um, I, I just I wanted to tell you that before the meditation. So maybe as you're meditating, you'll be like, "Oh, I want to ask Kevin this question." So, not that I'm encouraging you to think about anything when you're meditating, but I mean, you probably will be anyway. So, so I'll give you a something to, you know, a way to channel your, your thoughts. So, uh, yeah, before actually, and before I start the meditation, I will mention that, um, I, and some of you have been, you know, hanging out with me on my, my weekly Zoom classes. I, ha I have classes on Tuesdays and Friday and the other Fridays of the month. Um, which you can find through my website, which is kevingriffin.net. Uh, in any case, Shambhala is releasing a new version of my book, Living Kindness, and it's going to be released on December 27th, but you can pre-order it on their website, which I just put into the chat. And if you use the, it's just like a, if you use the uh, discount code, LK30, you can get a 30% discount. LK for living kindness and 30 for the 30%. So if you're interested, that is the end of the commercial for this time. Now we can meditate. Gotten the 
economics out of the way. So just ask you to settle into a comfortable posture in which which um you know if you were at Spirit Rock there wouldn't be many options, but presumably most of you are home or in some environment where you can um sit or lie down or stand. So just taking the posture that's most helpful for you to gain some calm and clarity. Just kind of cultivating this balance of energy. You can close your eyes or if it's more comfortable, you can just sit with your eyes open, just lower your gaze. You want to essentially move out of the visual world, the visual realm, and start to turn inward. Let's take a few minutes to just relax the body and kind of enliven our awareness to the sensations in the body. I like to start with relaxing the jaw. Moving downward to release the shoulders. To soften the belly. And just to feel the breath moving. The chest and the belly rising and falling. And relaxing through the hips, pelvis, just letting the attention explore the legs and feet. Sensations in the hands. So a feeling of the the body settling. Our practice isn't about controlling our experience and just deciding to feel a certain way. It's rather about creating the conditions, causes and conditions for certain potentials to manifest.
that we don't just say, just relax, but rather we do the things that make relaxation possible. Sense of connecting with the breath, with the body, with the present moment. An attitude of openness and acceptance, along with curiosity and exploration, investigation. And now bringing attention just to the feelings or mood that's present. If there's anything detectable, anything you can tune into. How are you feeling right now? And again, not trying to control that, just allowing awareness to be with the felt experience. And feeling the breath moving in the body, you might start to pay attention to particular points of sensation like the nostrils or the belly. When the mind wanders, just acknowledging that and then gently coming back to the breath. The breath starts to become the focal point, the anchor to the present moment.
It's easy to get into a, a relationship of conflict or frustration with thoughts when we're trying to meditate. So we want to learn the art of acceptance, openness, spaciousness, even as we point the attention back to the present moment. This requires a kind of balance between effort and acceptance. A certain trust that just by showing up and following the guidance that things will settle. And there can be this feeling that we have to take control, that we have to stop our thoughts or force the attention to stay with the breath. And that kind of running right toward the thing, that kind of direct efforting tends to backfire in meditation. So we have to take this not so direct route. takes patience and trust. Trust in the process, trust in ourselves. We live in a culture where we expect instant results. And meditation operates in a different kind of timeline, operates in sacred time. we might say outside of time. Doesn't respond to the demands of our grasping, controlling minds. 
Instead, it responds to kindness and patience. So we keep coming back to the sensations of breath, to feeling the body breathing. When we remove our ordinary distractions, a lot can show up. Sometimes unpleasant thoughts or difficult thoughts, thoughts we'd rather get rid of. So again, it takes a a kindness towards ourselves, towards our own mind, to get comfortable in meditation. If you're a recovering addict, you know that your mind has led you to some very difficult, very unhelpful places. And so sitting with your own mind, some of those energies, feelings, thoughts can can come back in different forms. Keeping the heart open, breathing in the present moment, staying grounded. You are here, you are okay. Letting it all move through you. Getting stuck on anything that appears in the mind.
sometimes when the mind gets very busy or the practice starts to seem too vague or complicated, to just return to a simple practice. You might even use the words in your mind, breathing in, breathing out. Breathing in, breathing out. tracking your energy as well. Sometimes as we become more calm, we drift off into sleepiness. Other times we start to get restless after a certain amount of time. 
or whatever is arising, we keep the simple principle of mindfulness to apply it to whatever is arising. It keeps us in a relationship of observing, not quite so caught up in the idea of something happening to me, but just observing these things happening in the mind and the body, and breathing with that, allowing that.
All right. So nice to sit with you all. Um, and yeah, just I'll just wait and see if there's any any questions anybody wants to. bring up um, okay then I am back <laughs> my computer says it's 840 and it certainly would never lie to me um, all right so yeah I, I um I thought tonight, you know, it's always funny, you know, because I, I have my regular uh, Zoom classes that I kind of just wing it. Um, and my teaching, I'm always winging it. That's probably pretty evident. But uh, but I also, you know, um, like to sometimes I just try to consider like what might people want to hear about, which I'm not can't read people's minds but but uh, just to acknowledge that you know this is dharma and recovery and and so i just thought i might get back to a you know fundamental kind of 12 step in buddhism concept which uh, a good one to start with is powerlessness and um so just to talk about this a little bit uh as i said we won't we won't go uh late so um but it's something that you know ever since i started doing this work of of blending buddhism and recovery and 12-step work um you know certain terms from the 12-step world uh, have been uh, you know challenging to um interpret in buddhist terms Buddhist concepts. And, you know, Buddhism is, is seen as a path that's very much uh, active, that we're engaged, that there isn't some outside force, uh, any God, God being that's directing things or giving us power. And so the idea of powerlessness and higher power then uh, requires a, a, something of a shift. And at the same time, you know, and with all we've been talking about meditation, the idea that sort of I am going to make something happen in my meditation is also problematic not just in fact not not really because of the i part uh because i mean that's yeah that's 
that's a challenge. Um, and but maybe not the one I want to talk about tonight, but rather the making it happen part. That and this is where, you know, the language of the steps is like, oh, it's it's, it's God and turn it over to God. And, and so the, the way I've been thinking about it and I and this I've said something about this tonight. Uh, maybe during the guided meditation or maybe in the q a i don't remember because this was in my mind of something i wanted to talk about tonight i was just thinking about how change occurs and and i i have to admit that's been a persistent question of mine ever since i confronted steps six and step seven which are the steps that are about humble you know uh, or entirely ready to have god remove our shortcomings and humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings and the, which i never was satisfied with that concept you know that and 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 never believed that god was going to remove anything but but i always thought that then that what those steps were about was about some kind of transformation and so i've always thought of those steps as being about how do you change but that question goes all the way back to step one, too, because when we say we're powerless, that seems to be suggesting that we're not going to be able to change ourselves. And of course, then step two and step three say that, you know, God's going to do it. But again, this becomes this, this problem with from a Buddhist perspective and, and from perspective of many people who simply don't believe in that kind of intercessionary God, as it's called, like a God that intervenes in life. So as I was thinking about this today, and, and this has been sort of bubbling in my mind recently, it, it's almost like a visual image I have of we think that the way to accomplish something, to change something, or, or how to meditate properly, or how to get sober, is to like, here's the problem, and I have to go straight at the problem. And I've got to go and fix it. So if that's with meditation, it's like, I'm just going to stop my thoughts. You know, I'm just going to put my attention on the breath. We've already been talking about how that doesn't really work. And, you know, you guys, many of you are experienced meditators. You know that it just doesn't quite work in that way. And I think that's equally true and similarly true with addiction when we say i'm just going to stop drinking i'm just going to stop taking drugs and and somewhat what we're saying is i'm going to get rid of this craving or i'm going to suppress this craving and that's the same thing as trying to suppress your thoughts right so i realize that this so first of all let's let's address what is the problem with that with that kind of approach i would say that the fundamental problem of that approach besides that it's violent <laughs> this you know i'm kind of i should could have been using a fist and that would have captured this even better that there's a certain kind of violence in terms of a kind of aggressiveness but that what's behind that i'm gonna and again i'm not addressing the i part of it you know although that's that's built in let's say as a problem but the you know let me do this and suppress this and stop this and make this happen is that it's founded in this aversiveness 
right? I don't like this. I need to stop it. So right away, as soon as you approach something with an attitude of aversion, which is also just aversion and desire, they're the, just two different versions of the same thing, which is fundamentally, I don't like the way things are. I want things to be different from the way they are. Anytime you approach things in that way, you're creating more tension, more energy, more conflict. So instead of, you know, I'm going to stop my thoughts, I'm going to stop my craving for alcohol, bringing about the desired result. Instead, it's like there's a pushback from it. And, and instead, there's more disturbance in the mind, more disturbance in the heart. You know, we're just, it, it doesn't leave us at ease at all. Instead, it's stirring up more trouble. But this is a very, I don't know if I should say American, but sort of, you know, material, in, in, somewhat of an American way, like, right, let's just solve this problem. And, and sort of, a materialistic approach to, I'm just going to take hold of this problem and fix it. You know, how do you fix it? Do that, you know, and, and I'm going to apply some system, some force, some forcefulness to it. And I guess I'd say also it's very male, you know, in a way it's very masculine, like just be aggressive with it, just attack the problem, fix it, control it. And, and, and I don't even mean that's necessarily only men would do that or that all men would do that. But just in terms of sort of archetypal energies, that's like a tip, more typically masculine energy. So the alternative, if we think of it again in kind of visual terms, is that, you know, we're not we don't go directly at the problem, that it's more we come at it at an angle you know, more obliquely at the problem. And, but what that means in practical terms is that instead of trying to attack the problem directly, instead we try to create the causes and conditions for the change that we are working towards. So with meditation, that means that we sit down and we do this form of practice. We put in the time. We have a, a structure to the meditation that we work with, but we don't force that. We keep coming back to the breath and we try to apply this attitude of kindness and acceptance to whatever arises. Even though we would like the thoughts to stop, we don't get pissed off at them. You know, Even though we would like everything to settle, we don't allow frustration to take us over. We try to bring this qualities of patience, acceptance, so laying the groundwork, creating the causes and conditions that will allow for the thoughts to quiet themselves in their own time. Now, with, with recovery, similarly, it's not that I just walk around all day going, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to drink, I'm not going to drink, you know. 
I go to meetings. I go to a, and hang out in an environment that's healing and that's about recovery instead of what I used to do, which was either like go to a bar or go to the dealer or, you know, stock the refrigerator with beers, you know, isolate all the things we do. And I'm just using alcohol as an example. It can be any addiction. I start to spend time with the, with, you know, the appropriate people. I start to make the choices that create a life that then doesn't have the need for intoxication. And so both of these, uh, you know, certainly both of these paths really depend upon community. Um, and they depend upon sila or ethical living. Because it's not just when we stop drinking or drugging or sexing or gambling or whatever it is. It's not just that we stop that one behavior. We also start to try to apply the principles of morality to our lives, to not to lie, to cheat, to steal, not to harm people, not sneak around, you know, all of that stuff. So we're, we're not carrying around this burden of guilt and shame. Uh, that's, you know, in the in the Buddhist tradition, that's called sila, and it's really the foundation of spiritual growth is is our be our behavior. And again, it's not that you know I stop, um, I don't know stop, but uh, you know that that I tr try to live by a more a stronger moral code, and that that then fixes things. But it you know it's again not going directly at I mean, that actually helps my meditation. It was one of the things that I discovered when I got sober. Like, oh, my meditation is better now, you know, that I'm sober than it was. And because I, I used to meditate before I got sober and I had some good experiences and, and stuff, but it wasn't, it didn't penetrate. You know? And that's because there wasn't any foundation to it. So again, it wasn't like a direct thing that I did to make my thoughts quiet down. I didn't like stop my thoughts. But because of the way I was living and creating the causes and conditions, then my meditation naturally developed. So, you know, when it comes then to, you know, I, I'm not sure if I'm making a typical, I don't think I'm making a typical connection with this idea of powerlessness, but it's seeing that one aspect of powerlessness is that I can't just go and attack problems and fix them that way. And, it, and it's one of the things that I you know, find myself when I'm mentoring or coaching people that I'm very often having to remind them that they have to take this process rather than just do this one thing to make something happen and that they have to trust in a process. You know, I've been mentoring in this teacher training program, the mindfulness meditation teacher, teacher certification that Jack Cornfield and Tara Brock run. And it's so interesting to watch what happens to the people over this two year period. 
in the first six months, at least, there's really a sense of what's going on. I don't feel like they're really teaching me what I need to know. Like, why aren't they teaching me the stuff that I want? Why are they teaching me this? <laughs> and they don't, and people don't really understand that what's happening is that there's this foundation being laid. It's not like, okay, first class, here's how you teach meditation. Second class, here's how you create a Dharma talk. Third class, okay, here's how you answer questions. It's not how you become a teacher. <laughs> Those uh, You become a teacher by understanding the Dharma, <laughs> by understanding meditation for yourself, internalizing that. And so there's this process in which people get trained and they're all they in, in order to get into the program they have to be somewhat experienced as meditators but there there's this foundation that's built up and then they they start to offer some like sort of different angles there's diversity training and people are like why are we doing this and there you know there's a lot of doubt that first six months nine months somewhere after, between a year and a year and a half things start to shift and it's very much process uh, it's like oh and and they people very often i don't think see it even within themselves i see it i start to see them start to change and they start to give talks in the in our little mentor groups like practice talks and and just the way they're responding there's this transformation that's happening but it's not like this direct path you know it's this gradual sy systemic process uh to bring about change. And we see the same thing in recovery, right? Anybody who's been around the recovery world for a long time, for even a few years, you see that people come in and they're like, well, I don't know. I, I feel like I need to do more. And, and, you know, they kind of struggle at first, but it's like, just keep coming back, right? We have that simple instruction at the end of meetings, keep coming back. It works if you work it. And it's just like, okay, but, you know, that I think people have a lot of skepticism, but you see people and you see them change. And, but it takes time, you know, it's never like, okay, one week, okay, I got, got my problem solved. Okay, I'm going to go back to my life now. It's like, no, that's why I like the 30 day treatment programs don't work because I mean, they don't work as a final solution. You know, it requires time. Uh, you know, I was using that term tonight, sacred time. A transformation takes, takes place over sacred time, which is, outside of the ordinary time frame of uh, how much time we got. Oh, that's 10 minutes. Okay. How long does it take to meditate? Well, how long does it take to get enlightened? You know, <laughs> how long does it take to get in recovery? There's no, no time frame. It's engaging in a process uh, and, and not sort of stepping up, demanding some results. So uh, I just, you know, that's, that for me is, really at the heart of of doing this work it and it and it is about patience acceptance letting go of goals as julie was talking about even as we trust that things will change that there will be an unfolding that there will be growth and that that we aren't in control of it that it's not our show you know this is uh you know fundamental spiritual principles of letting go but the it, you know it's it's not enough to say you're powerless just let go because what i've been describing is not 
a passive process. We have to be engaged in it. And the same thing we've been talking about with meditation. This is where the art of transformation comes in. And we realize I can't run straight at it, but I can't just sit here and do nothing. Nothing's going to happen if I sit here and do nothing. You know, I can't just say, God, please remove my craving for alcohol. God, please let my meditation be peaceful. No, I have to show up and and put in the time, put in the work. And it's, you know, that's what's hard because trans, change, changing, you know, changing from a active addict into a person in recovery involves pain. There's that letting go isn't easy. Becoming a, you know, experienced and artful meditator is difficult. You have to sit through all the frustration, all the challenges, and you just have, you have to keep showing up. It's why, you know, so many people relapse and, and, and so few people meditate. <laughs> uh, because these things, uh, particularly the, the, the early stages of the process are really difficult. I think that, you know, once you get through those early stages, generally becomes easier. You can still hit lots of difficult times in recovery and lots of difficult times in meditation. But, uh, you know, there's a certain point at which, to a great extent, we see, oh, oh, I get this. I see how this is. It's okay. It's okay that I'm having a bad day, I'm having a bad meditation, or that I'm, you know, that, that things are, it's painful. You start to see that all the ups and downs are just totally manageable, you know. Uh, our lives become manageable, you know. That's just the opposite of what step one says. So I hope that's a helpful little talk for you guys tonight. Um, so nice to have everyone come. Um, I'd like to just do a short closing. I'll just uh, close with a, particularly, I like to close these uh, classes with with gratitude practice. So just taking a moment, excuse me, just sit back, take a mindful breath or two. And let's start with self-gratitude for each of us to appreciate that we showed up tonight. There's lots of other ways we could spend our time. But the fact that we have enough devotion to our practice and our recovery to put this time aside for this work as a sign of, of actual wisdom and goodness to appreciate that in yourself.
And then further to appreciate Spirit Rock for all the work that's been done there over decades to build a strong Sangha. And to recognize too that that, that community is built out of an ancient tradition that has been sustained from year to year and decade to decade, lifetime to lifetime over millennia. This has come as a great gift to us. So just to appreciate this gift of the Dharma. And finally, just to appreciate that we have this, this little community together to sit and to reflect together these shared concerns and interests. Well, may we each carry forward the wisdom and loving kindness this practice engenders. May we be free from suffering, awaken to freedom. Blessings. One more, one more bell. <laughs> there we go.